Well, good morning. I trust that your heart has already been warmed. Beautiful songs, all the special music. Vivian, happy birthday. And just heart has been warmed with the songs. Thank you, girls, for that last song. And I do pray that as word goes forth, that the Holy Spirit would take that, conform us into the image of Christ, and just let that sweet fragrance of Christ really just come forth in everything we do say, whether act or deed or whatever we do. I'm going to invite you this morning to take your Bibles and open up to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, the message or the title of the message this morning is the high cost of worship. And this morning we're going to look at a very familiar text. It's a text with Abraham offering up Isaac. And so we're going to read verses 1 through 8. And it says this, And it came to pass, after these things, that God did test Abraham, and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thine son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering, upon one of the mountains which I shall tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood... But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you, Father, for this time of worship that we've already had. To sing these beautiful songs to you. Father, once again, just to celebrate what you have done. And Father, once again, as we come up here this morning, I'm reminded that words can fall straight to the ground. Father, your word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And so, Father, would you take your word by your spirit and would you have your way in our lives to transform us into that precious image of Christ. So that, Father, even this morning as we look at this grand subject of worship, we truly might, in everything we do, give worship and worthiness to your name. And, Father, we love you and praise you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. It was about 11 years ago 
when we moved from the country of Zambia, where we had been ministering to for almost three, almost four years, and went to the country of South Africa to begin a church plant. At that time in South Africa, there was only a handful of believers meeting together. And I'll never forget, in some of those early, early days as we were developing a philosophy for our church, and some of the questions that would arise with our people would be questions like this. What is our goal? What is our purpose as individuals? Or what is our purpose as a church? What are we to be doing? And of course, at that time, that began just a really good studies in our church. And ultimately, it came down to one word. Purpose of our lives and the purpose of our church is to worship God. Or we could say, to show the worth of God in everything that we do. And so with that, we begin to do a study, and it was interesting to me, one of the questions then that arose at this time is, okay, if everything we're supposed to be doing is worshiping God and showing the worthiness of God, then what does that look like? How then do I do that? What was interesting is the very first time that the word worship appears in our Bibles is it appears here in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 5. Now worship has clearly happened before this, but it's the very first time in which the word is used. And it's used in this story, Abraham is told to sacrifice his son, And in the midst of a three-day journey, he stops and he says to his servants, you stay here while the lad and I go to what? To worship. And I think personally for me, and I think corporately for our church, this passage became very convicting. Because the way that I view worship and the way that modern Western churches view worship was radically different than the way that Abraham viewed worship. Folks, what was Abraham's view of worship in this passage? He was going to go And it was going to cost him his greatest treasure on earth. His son. And in essence, the view that Abraham had for worship was a high cost. Now let's go ahead and let's look at this story. What can we learn? First of all, look at chapter 22, and let's just start in verse 1. Now understand, in the stories of Abraham, when you come to chapter 22, 58 to 60 years of Abraham's life has passed since we met him in Genesis 12 as a younger man. So his journey of faith up in chapter 22 is roughly about 60 years. Now, look at what it says. 
And it came to pass after these things, and look at this next phrase, that God did test him. Now, you and I, when we start reading this, we're already starting with a knowledge that Abraham did not have. This is called a what? A test. Abraham, up to this point, has not read Genesis 22, verse 1. He does not know this is a test. And so God comes to him with this test. Now, what is the nature of the test? Well, I want you to think back with me into Abraham's life. We are first introduced to Abraham all the way back in chapter 12. And do you remember what happens there when God comes and introduces himself to Abraham? God gives him a series of promises, a number of promises. And that very first promise, after I will make you a great name, is I am going to make you a nation. Now, to have a nation, you have to have children. And how many children did Abraham have at that time? He had none. And God says, I'm going to make you a great nation. You're going to have child. And when you follow through the promises, all of the promises that God makes to Abraham rest upon this one child that is supposed to come. Now, when you think of the stories of Abraham or you think of Abraham, you think, man, Abraham was a great man of faith, right? And Abraham never, ever failed, right? Wrong. When you go through the stories of Abraham, many times, over and over and over, Abraham is making some choices that really are not very wise according into God's plan. I mean, just think of the very first story that we come to in Abraham's life in Genesis 12 after God gave him the promises. And and I tell my wife this, I would have loved to have been a fly on the tent One day, Abraham wakes up. There's a famine in the land. He goes to Egypt, and he wakes up one morning, and he comes to his wife and says, Honey, you are so beautiful. Wives, what would you think if your husband said that to you first thing in the morning? You'd be going, Oh. My wife would be going, What do you want? (laughs) But you'd be going, Oh. Honey, you are so beautiful. Everyone is going to know that you're my wife. Oh, Abraham. And I'm proud to be your wife. So, honey, I want you to tell everybody you're my sister. Romance dead. Now, why was he doing that? Because there was a ruler there and Abraham was fearful because his wife was so beautiful that this ruler would look at his wife and come and take her and kill Abraham. So he's trying to protect himself. So he says to Sarah, and you might be saying, well, he was, she was his half-sister, but it's still a lie because wife trumps sister. And so the ruler, he comes to his wife and says, I want you to tell him, you're beautiful. Okay, you're beautiful. You're my my wife, so I want you to tell everyone you're my sister to protect me. Now, what would you be thinking as a wife? That's another question. 
So the ruler comes, takes the wife, and after a period of time, what does God do? God comes down in a dream and says to this ruler, don't you dare touch her or I will what? I will kill you. And the guy says, this ruler says, listen, he told me she, he, she was his sister. Now what could have happened to the promises of God at that time? If there would have been a relationship, it could have had an illegitimate child that would have forfeited this promise. And so what does God do? God steps in as El Shaddai, the strong one, and over and over when you read the accounts of Abraham, God is continually coming down and working even in Abraham's failures. Now isn't that encouraging for you and I? I know it is for me. Because how many times do I fail? And yet God in His love and in His strength comes and says, Hey Lee, you messed up again. Come on, get back up. Let's wipe the dust off and let's keep going. And so God comes and He gives this test and the test really is around this child and this promise. Abraham, are you going to believe me? That's the test. And so he comes up in verse 22 and verse 1 again. And it came to pass after these things that God did test Abraham. And the nature of that test is around this son. Are you going to believe me? Now, now look at what God says. Abraham said unto him, Behold, here I am. Verse 2, And he said, Take now thy son... Thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Now pretend that this is the first time you're ever reading this. What is your reaction to that? I mean, pretend that you don't know the story. Put yourself in Abraham's shoes. God comes to him and says, I want you to take, and you can see all of these personal pronouns that he used, I want you to take thine only son, thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and sacrifice him. Now, when you come to that, and what the author is trying to do is he's trying to shock us by the command. What do you mean he's to take his son, his only son, whom he lovest? I mean, think of Isaac. Isaac means laughter. Isaac was the son of promise that brought joy to Sarah. And Abraham, when they couldn't have children anymore, they were dead. Here's this little boy, laughter. He is the son that had been promised and that they had waited for. In fact, in our account in Genesis, he's not born until Genesis chapter 21. I mean, there's nine chapters where we have to wait for this one to come. He's the one that would carry on the heritage of his father. 
He's the one that would carry the promises that God had given to Abraham. Everything is riding on the shoulders of Abraham's son, Isaac. And God comes to him with no further explanation than the three commands. Take, go, sacrifice. And nothing else is given. And you and I as a reader, and as Abraham first hearing this, this would have been shocking. Now, let me ask you a question. Because when we were studying this, this is really the question that I had to ask myself. Do you think that God has a right to ask this of Abraham? Do you think that God has the right to come to Abraham and say, I want you to give your only son? And folks, how you answer that question ultimately comes down to your view of God. I mean, if God were to come to me, and of course, in the, New, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, God hates human sacrifices. He despises it. But if he comes down and says, hey, Lee, get up, take, go, sacrifice one of your children, one of the questions that I'd probably struggle with is, I'm not sure you have the right to ask that. And it really comes down then to this, does God have a right to ask that of us? Well, if He's the Creator God who is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving, and has a very special plan for your life and only wants the good in your life, if that is your view, then yes, he does have a right to ask that. He does have the right to ask for our complete obedience, trust, and surrender of all we have, including life itself. He has that right because of who he is. And folks... What I've discovered in life is it's very easy to say, well, you know, I would do the same thing that Abraham. I would give you everything in my life. My life is yours. And then all of a sudden, what does God do? God brings a test or a circumstance into our life to test the quality of our obedience. And you know what I find many times? Is at the end of the day, I'm on my knees saying, God, I'm so sorry I failed again. Forgive me. And God has this right to test. And I remember when this really became more than just theoretical in our family's life. Uh, when we were getting ready to go to Zambia, there was these fears. And the fears for us personally were what would happen or what, what would happen if we go there and something happens to us? What if we get sick? What if one of our children dies? 
And it wasn't just us. Many of our family members were saying the same thing. Lee, if you go over there with your family, do you not realize there's cobras? Do you not realize there's parasites? Do you not realize there's these little horrible little things called mosquitoes and you get malaria? And all we knew is that we've got to obey God. But was this a real fear in our lives? Absolutely. And I remember the very first week when we got there, our daughter got malaria, then another child got malaria, and all of us just started getting malaria and started getting parasites. And I'll never forget when one of our children, who wasn't even a year old, had malaria so much, and we'd taken him to the doctors, we've had to get him the shots, he was taking the medicine, and day after day after day, he was getting worse and worse and worse. His eyes were sunken in. He was turning pale. He had no energy. And I'll never forget that night when my wife and I, with this reality that we could lose him, my wife and I grabbed hands, went into our room there in Kitwe, Zambia, and on that tile floor on a blanket where he lay, we got down and we said, God, we had given him to you. He's yours. We will obey you. He's yours. But if you give him back to us, I promise you, we will raise him for you. Within a couple days, God gave him his strength. And now he's running around everywhere wild. But the tests that come is more than just theoretical. God is coming and He's saying, I want you to take, I want you to go, and I want you to sacrifice that which you love the most. And all of a sudden, it makes me realize that Abraham's view of what he's doing in worship is a lot different than my view of worship, which is very easy and happy and joyful. It's the sacrifice. So look at how the story goes. Look at verse 3. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and he saddled his donkey, and he took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for a burnt offering, and rose up and went unto the place which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. Now, let me show you what the author is doing here. The author, when he comes to this place, slows down the story. After you hear God say, take your son and sacrifice him, what do you want to know? You want to know the end of the story, right? But instead, what God does is He slows it down so that you actually have to feel a little bit of what Abraham is feeling as he makes this 50-mile journey up north. Now think about this for a second. What do you think is going through Abraham's heart at this time? What do you think would be going on through your heart? I mean, God doesn't leave that. All he does is he just slows it down so that we can understand a little bit. 
I mean, I, the questions I ask is I wonder if Abraham told his wife what he was going to do. Imagine that conversation. Sweetheart, I'm going to sacrifice. Oh, great, honey. You got the wood, you're getting the fire, you got the donkey. Where's the sacrifice? Oh, it's your son Isaac. Oh, great. Let me pack you a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I mean, how would you like to have that conversation? But on that journey, what do you think's happening? God, why would you ask me to do this? I mean, 60 years ago, you made a promise to me. That you are going to do these things. I mean, we have been waiting and waiting and waiting for this child. And yet now you want me to sacrifice him? Why? What are you doing? All of the promises rest upon his shoulders. At verse 5. Three days have gone by. Verse 5, And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide you here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go and what? Worship. I mean, ultimately what Abraham comes to is he says this is a sign of worship. And how worthy is God in Abraham's thinking? God, you are so worthy. I am willing to give you the greatest treasure. But then notice what he says in verse 5 at that last part. And I and the lad will go yonder and worship. And what's that last phrase? And will come again to you. We will return. So what do you think happened to Abraham's faith in that three days of traveling? I think it's something like this, and we get a little bit of hint of this in Hebrews 11, where God comes and He says, okay, take, go, sacrifice, and Abraham's thinking, but He's the promise. But you know what, God? Through 60 years of my life, I have watched you over and over and over keep your promises. And so I, I believe when I sacrifice him, you will raise him back up. And so faith is the spiritual eyes that sees beyond his circumstance. I mean, all of the promises rest upon this boy, Isaac. And I believe that you will raise him up. And his faith then is anchored in the Word of God, and in the character of God. And folks, once again, where is our faith when the trials and the tests and circumstances are hard? Where is our faith anchored at? Is it anchored deeply in the Word of God, which reveals His character? And so the eyes of our faith has to see beyond the circumstance to a God who's worthy for me to follow. He is good no matter what happens in my life. 
And the personal trials and hurts or sacrifices that I endure on this earth are nothing to be compared to the treasures that I have in him and the treasures that I'll have for all eternity. Nothing. And what we find is just as Abraham had to trust God to find a way, look through the circumstances with faith, you and I stand in the same position with every challenge that we face. Will I cling to God, believe His Word, and stay the course? Or will I try to figure it out in my own way? And this is what I try to teach my children. It's what I try to teach teens, young kids. Is the world will offer you a lot of options that are really good. But in the end, they bring a whirlwind of hurt and trials. But the path that is narrow, the path that leads to God, is always good no matter where it leads. Because it ultimately leads to Him. And so Abraham's faith says, we will come back and worship. But then his faith even looks further than his circumstance. His faith looks to a future day when God will provide. Look at verse 6. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, and he laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Now the burnt offering was the atoning offering. It was how can man approach a holy God, a righteous God, we who are sinful, how can we come before this holy God? Well, there has to be a sacrifice. And God told Abraham, Isaac now is going to be the sacrifice, but now Abraham looks ahead and says, God is going to provide. Verse 8, Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for, us, for a burnt offering. So the both went together. And this is what's called a prophetic type, where through the life of Isaac, we see another son who is going to come. Another son who is the only son and the beloved son. Because you remember how the story unfolds here? Abraham takes Isaac Lays, builds the altar, and he's getting ready to sacrifice. And right at that moment, what does God do? He stops him. Why? Well, I think there's many reasons. The test of his faith is coming forth that he obeyed God. But Isaac is not the right sacrifice. He can't do it. Who's able to do that, folks? God is going to send His Son. Father is going to pay the high cost from His Son to pay the price. Now, I want you to turn to one passage, and I want you to see this. Turn to John chapter 4, and we'll close. 
So Abraham comes to this realization that the high cost of worship is the greatest treasure that he has. Now look at this story where Jesus is speaking to the Samaritan woman. And you remember how he comes to her? And he says, give me this water. And she says, you have nothing to draw, but you want water. And he says, but if you would have asked me, I would give you living water. And this begins a conversation that eventually leads to the subject of worship. So look at verse Look at verse 20. Here's what the woman says to him. Verse 19, the woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. That's a good guess. He just told her that she has had five husbands. Now, the one she's living with now is not her husband. So her answer to that is, I, I perceive you're a prophet. That's, that's close. Verse 20, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Or worship the Father. Verse 22. You worship you know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. Now folks, what is the hour that Jesus is talking about? What's the hour? The hour is the cross when Jesus will die. You see, Isaac's sacrifice could never provide a way for you and I to be right with God. And so what does God do? God takes His Son, His only Son, and He pays the highest price as his son dies for the sins of the world, so that you and I can enjoy him and worship him forever. What do we do? Nothing but believe on him. And folks, this is the beauty. Abraham says, he will provide a lamb. So God paid the highest sacrifice so that you and I could be worshipers of Him. You think about that for a second. As a child of God, if you are saved, He looks upon you with a smile and He finds joy in you. Isn't that remarkable? Why? Because of everything his son did on the cross. Now folks, if that is true, and if he did that for us, 
what then should be our response back to him? Remember Romans 12, 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the what? The mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living one. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is only reasonable. It's only logical. God, you did so much for me in your son that I don't have to do anything to be accepted except believe. But Father, because of what you have done, it is only logical that everything I do, every thought, every word, every deed comes back to show your worthiness. Is that how we're living? You see, we a lot of times approach worship as something we do before the preaching of the message. The singing, the testimonies, but God paid the highest cost of worship, sending His Son so that you and I could be true worshipers of Him. And folks, when we have that kind of view in our thinking, it is only then logical that we give our lives back to Him to show His worth in everything we do. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the story of Abraham. Father, even the hardness of this story as you've asked him to take his son and sacrifice. But Father, his son could never, ever pay for my sins. Father, you sent your Son to die on the cross so that, Father, according to what Jesus says to this woman, that we might be true worshipers of you. Father, I pray, maybe there be one here this morning who has never entered into that by faith. Would you just work their hearts and help them to turn their eyes to Christ? And then, Father, for all of us, let us show the worth, even as that beautiful song was saying earlier, not our legacy, but your name, so that Christ might be honored in all that we do and say and think. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.